Welcome to OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you will find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Chloe. Hi, I'm Chloe. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I can't believe it's Roy's birthday tonight because um, like a year and a half ago I was sitting at a bus stop in Spain with my iPod listening to his podcast and it made me laugh and it got me through the day. Um, So I'm really grateful to be able to be of service on this um, internet service um, and to reach other people who are in this country in places where there aren't enough meetings or just people who are traveling and needing an extra boost. Um, It's a beautiful thing. The Internet has made our world a lot smaller. Um, So um, I just moved to Los Angeles um, about two months ago. I'm from Boston. I'm originally from Maine, but I've been living in Boston the last several years. Boston's where I first got abstinent. Um, And when I moved to L.A., I didn't know. That's not true. I have an uncle in Orange County um, who I don't know very well, Um, but I had a family here in these rooms um, of people who I didn't know personally yet, but um, who I knew would welcome me. Um, And people have given me rides. I don't have a car, which I know in L.A. is unheard of. Um, People have given me rides to meetings. Um, Even newcomers have um, just opened themselves up. There's something really magical that happens in these halls in terms of the fellowship. Um, So I'm so grateful for the welcome that you've all given me. Um, And... And I'm grateful for the welcome that I've received in every single meeting since the very first one that I attended a little over eight years ago. So what drove me to that meeting um, was, well, I feel silly saying that my bottom was at 18 years old, because I know that a lot of people come to OA a lot later in life. (laughs) Um, And I am really lucky. My dad's an alcoholic, and he got sober when I was about 10, around 10 um, and so 12-step programs are familiar in my family. Um, my mom, God bless her, is very involved in all of our lives and um, closely observed his addiction and closely observed mine and got that there was a connection and um, and suggested that I try OA. And she says now that she didn't ever believe I would go. And I, I also, like, can't, knowing how much of a... Um, unfortunate word to describe me at uh, that year. Um, I, I I can't believe I went either, but I did, thank God. Um, so let me back up. I, when, I don't usually bring pictures to meetings, and in this case it's not really, doesn't make sense because I'm being recorded, but um, I sometimes bring one picture, which is of me as a little kid. I'm like five years old at my birthday party. And, um, and there's this giant cake in front of me. And um, I'm, like, covered in it. You know, I've got it all over my face and all over my little cute dress. And um, and I pass it around with um, compassion because, um, I don't know, I, I'm not a bad person because I'm obsessed with food. <laughs> um, I'm a beloved little girl and now a woman who... Um, for whatever reason, has this addiction. Um, And try as I might, I can't seem to think or um, figure my way out of it. Um, So 
so there's that picture. Um, there's another photograph that I sometimes pass, which is me at my 16th birthday, also in front of a cake. And there's like all these people in the room, and you can see my eyes are just like fixated on it. I can't wait till the you know the birthday song is over so I can cut into it. Um, and it's another moment of like compassion for that woman who's obsessed with food. Um, God bless her, you know, um, and God bless all of us. Um, so as a, as a youngster, I loved sugar. Um, I remember making these little uh, routes around my grandmother's house. She had this, like, bowl of goodies in, in one room, and there was, like, a little circuit you could walk around the house. And I would, I would just, like, as a little kid, God knows what the adults around me were thinking, would just do this little, and I would, like, go by and grab one on the way by. And then, and then I'd go around again and grab one on the way by. Because even as a little kid, I didn't want people to see that I was the one taking and... She also had things like stashed in all sorts of drawers, and I was always like, so sneaking was an early part of my addiction. Um, binging was, you know, started pretty early on. Um, at summer camp, um, my friends thought it was fun, so we'd pig out, and it was funny, and we would stash food in our pockets and take it back to the cabin, and, um, you know, being super, super full was like a recreational activity, and, um, and same... <laughs> And I was a scrawny kid. I grew, my feet grew the first. I had these ridiculously long feet, um, like huge feet. Um, I wear a, almost a size 11. Um, and they, I had those like from the time I was 13 on. Um, and I had a really high metabolism. So I was a scrawny kid, but, um, you know, my dad and I would go to fast food restaurants and I would just, and it was funny how much I could eat. Um, but it started to catch up with me around puberty, like happens to a lot of young women. Um, and the shame kind of started to come on as I started to put on weight and also feel like people could see that what I was doing was gross or obsessive. And um, in high school, I experimented with anorexia. I was not particularly successful, but I was successful enough that um, I felt lightheaded a lot. Um, I was very thin. Um, my mom sent me to a therapist, and I remember her asking me to, like, write down what I wrote, what I ate and you know, would I be willing to try certain things? And I remember thinking, you know, yeah, I'll be, I'll be willing to try some certain things so long as it doesn't make me gain weight. Like, that was the most important thing in my mind. Um, I developed a habit of, like, every morning walking, the first thing I did was looking, you know, lifting up my shirt and kind of turning side to side to, like, inspect, you know, the previous day's um, wreckage or whatever I conceived of it at the time. At the time. Um, so that was sort of high school. I started experimenting with laxative abuse, um, also very uncomfortable um, physically um, and very embarrassing. Um, and then in my first year of college, um, for those who went to universities where they have unlimited dining plans, that's like the worst thing you can do <laughs> to a compulsive overeater. Oh, God. Um, so, right, so you can imagine where that went. Lots, um, you know, just accelerated binging. Um, I sort of, the weird thing about compulsive overeating that I try to explain to normal people is that we get, gro we get full, or I get full, and I feel gross, and yet, like, the grosser and fuller I feel, the speed with which I eat accelerates. Um, and the obsessive mind accelerates. And I don't, I can't explain that. You know, I just don't have an off switch where that's concerned. Um, it's kind of scary. <laughs> um, and 
And at that time in my life, you know, we're talking like 17 through 19, um, I just felt like such a freak. Um, I just felt like a freak, like on wheels, you know, that was just sort of tearing through dining halls. And then when I, when I would be home, you know, my house and when I babysit their house and their cabinets, um, um, and with it came a ton of shame, um, and a lot of physical discomfort. I had, um, I have a lot of food allergies, but I, you know, what does a compulsive overeater care about their food allergies? They eat what they want to, or I do. Um, so I ate all the things that made me have extreme stomach discomfort, and I was abusing laxatives, so my poor roommate had to deal with the most horrendous gas for our whole first year. Talk about embarrassment. I mean, add to the shame. I'm like a stink bomb. Um, so... <laughs> I have I have to admit that because I mean that's part of the recovery right is being honest about the like kind of gory details of this. Um, I remember sitting on a pillow while I would do my homework to try and stifle the. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, but that was my reality. Um, but it, did it stop me? No, it didn't. Um, it didn't stop me. Um, and you know neither did the extreme discomfort from the laxatives stop me. Um, so my, first, my the summer after my first year of college, I was home and just miserable. I mean, I was binging all the time. I worked as a landscaper, um, which is, i.e., like, very physical labor and bent over a lot of the day. And I would get up in the morning before anybody woke up and just <laughs> normal bowls were not appropriate for me. I had, like, large things of Tupperware that I would eat my cereal out of. And sometimes two whole batches of these um I'm a big fan of concoctions, like, you know, adding everything into a big giant vat and then just, like, going down on it with a spoon. Um, So that was my summer, um, was that, going to work, coming home, binging again, and going to bed. Um, I alienated a lot of friends that I'd never called back, like, for the whole summer, you know, or we'd make plans and I would bail out at the last minute. I think the only person my age that I was in any regular contact with was this guy that I was sort of in and out of a relationship with. Um, and, you know, we'd break up, and I would binge, we'd get back together, I would binge, we'd sleep together, I'd binge, like, it just, that that was a mess in and of itself, and I think, um, you know, shame and self-esteem and body stuff was linked with my, um, with my relationship with him and food, um, so, so that was the summer that my mom suggested lovingly that I go to OA, um, and, I, God bless her, I was not easy to live with, I, I, because she was often the one who would, like, catch me, and I, I also describe myself as, I'm, I'm, when I'm eating, I'm like a raccoon, like, in the dark, and you, like, flick on the light, and I, like, hiss at you, and I'm like, how dare you interrupt me, I mean, I'm not, it's funny, but it's real, <laughs> so there were multiple times where she'd be like, you know, Biz, that's my nickname, you know, Biz, you might want to, and I'd be like, don't tell me not to eat, <laughs> you know, I'm busy clearing out your cabinet, um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, I go to my first meeting, and as I said, I'm from Maine originally, <laughs> and, um, I don't know if anybody in here has been to Maine, but, um, uh, it's a pretty quiet state mostly, um, and it was this tiny little meeting, there were like, I don't know, five women. And to me, as an 18-year-old, I saw, like, five women with white hair and little, like, sweatshirts and knitting, and I I didn't identify. But as soon as somebody started speaking, it was like, 
exactly my story. This woman was talking about an obsession with a particular cereal, and I was just like, thank God um, I'm not alone. Um, that was the overwhelming feeling, was that uh, I, oh, wow, I'm not a freak. There's, um, like, thousands of us. Um, so, and and that was enough to keep going. Um, I didn't get abstinent right away. It took me... Uh, over a year to even get a day of abstinence and then two years to get the abstinence that I'm writing on now. Um, <clears throat> but I kept going and, and it, w- it was like this. I would go to a meeting and I would just feel so relaxed um, and so held and comforted. And, um, and I would cry afterwards and then I'd go back and I'd binge for a week and then a week <laughs> later I'd come back to the meeting and do the same thing. And it was very, very helpful. I needed to do that. It was so, it just like worked on my soul really slowly. Um, listening to people and then eventually sharing and <laughs> the first time I shared I asked a question and there was just dead silence in the room. And finally someone was like, yeah, we don't ask questions during this period. And I was mortified, but she was so gentle about it and, sharing continued and it was fine um so i still remember where i was when i i uh, got my first oa phone call um i was like oh my god what do i say um and she the woman was very sweet um so so yeah so i i kept binging for a year but going to these meetings and and um i had all the same thoughts that i think a lot of people do when they come in like when you hear people talk about a food plan or you hear people talk about eliminating certain foods, I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to do that. Um, but, of course, I eventually did. Um, so I guess a year into program, a little bit more than a year, I started going to a second meeting um, that had a lot of recovery. And a lot of people would raise their hands to be sponsors and um, – and then I was in another relationship at the time. This is such a cool God thing. Um, just like a really neat, magical convergence. I, um, I went to a clinic. We, you know, we were both like getting tested um, at, a, at a public health clinic. And um, the woman who was the nurse, um, she was doing screenings for other things. You know, are you depressed? Are you suicidal? Have you ever had an eating disorder? And I said, well, yeah, actually, I, I, um, I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a member of OA. And she lit up, and she was like, oh, that's such a great program. Do you have a sponsor? And I was like, no. Um, and she said, oh, well, perfect. You're coming back for your results in two weeks. I want you to have a sponsor. <laughs> okay. And... What I haven't admitted about myself at this point is that I'm a total people pleaser. Um, I, you know, I'm like a straight A's, if you can let me keep binging. Um, and so I was like, okay, yes, ma'am. Um, and sure enough, two weeks later, I got a sponsor, and I came back, and I was like, I got a sponsor. So thank you, Angel, it, at Mass General Hospital, <laughs> for making me get a sponsor. Um, and the sponsor I got was another, like, I raised my hand very tentatively at the last second of the meeting, and I didn't get called on, but then this woman came up to me afterwards and said, hey, did you want to share? Yeah, I think I need a sponsor. Okay, call me tomorrow at 6.15. You know, like, okay, then I had a sponsor. Um, that doesn't mean that I got abstinence right away. Um, I got about 60 days, and then after those initial 60 days and that sort of pink cloud, it was sort of off and on for several months. I'd have a week, and then I would binge, and, um, God, those binges were miserable. (laughs) 
um, once you have some program under your belt and you've, you know, like withheld for a month and then you binge again, it's like a nightmare. For me, it was. Because um, it's like, i got to have everything that I haven't had for the last month now. Um, and, and it was completely not fun. Um, it was just addiction. Um, so, but I kept going to meetings. Um, and I had worked through, like, step one and had sort of started acting as if for step two, um, but I kept getting stuck at step three, and I was working with a sponsor, and, you know, I'd just call her, and, oh, I did it again last night, and she'd say, okay, do you want to be abstinent today? Yes, okay, okay. Um, and then I just, and then I just started taking suggestions that I heard in meetings, um, and that's, that's a recommendation I, I always share with people, like, try everything. Like, if it doesn't work, try something else. Um, if that doesn't work, try something else. Just keep, because there's so many different experiences in these rooms. Um, eventually, you'll hit on the right magic combination of things, and you'll get abstinent, because that is the trajectory of this program. Um, but everybody needs something a little bit different, so I just kept trying things. And one thing in particular was I kept hearing people, especially if you hear something like five or six times in a row, you should probably try it. Um, and I kept hearing people talking about getting on your knees, and so... That totally waked me out. I don't have a religious background that's that's familiar with that, um, but I thought I would try it. Um, and it was a really important thing for me because what I had been doing is I would wake up and it was like, you know, jet propulsion from bed to fridge. And I would, like, weigh and measure my food and eat it. But it was like that was the first thing of my day. And even though it was a quote-unquote abstinent meal – it was there was it was that was the the food was the first thing and getting on my knees drove a wedge between um, you know sleep and food and and that wedge was sort of the opening for God um, and that turned into a little meditation and that turned into a little reading and um, and that wedge kind of opened and and that, you know um, I don't know a good quote for this but I think there's a lot in the literature about um, we just need to, like, unlock that little... We just need to have a little tiny bit of willingness, <laughs> and God will meet us, you know, not not just halfway, but, like, 99% at first. Um, and that was my experience. And you open up that, that little tiny bit, and then it continues to open and grow from there. If you continue to go a little bit further. Um, so, so that was key, and that happened simultaneously with a woman telling me that step three is not a perfect... You, you don't have to do it perfectly, um, I think I read it as there was going to be this, like, lightning bolt moment, and then everything after that was going to be perfect and easy. <laughs> and you guys are laughing because that's not the case. Um, and, but it was, really, it was really necessary that somebody tell me that because I couldn't conceive of something that perfect. Like, there, I just I couldn't get my head around it. So it was like, no you're giving yourself over to the rest of the 12 steps, basically. You're, you're willing to follow the rest of the instructions. Um, you're willing to start step four. Um, okay, I can do that. Um, and, and it won't be the last time you take that step. <laughs> um, you know, step three is a daily practice. Um, okay. So, I, on my fifth year, so I have, six and a little bit of time of abstinence, six years and, and, and a change. And on my fifth year anniversary, um, my parents are so sweet. They came to the meeting that I got my five-year chip at. 
Um, and after I shared, my dad was like, you left out all the hard work you did. Um, you didn't tell, like, about all the sponsees you sponsored and all the, you know, step work that you did and all the, or I didn't, I did talk about the steps, but all the service you did. So now, on recorded record, I'm going to tell you that I worked the hack out of this program. Um, and I say that because I don't, I don't know if that's what it was that made me stay abstinent this long. Um, and so I need to say it because that is my experience. Um, I worked this program really hard. Um, I, as I said, I, I like to get straight A's, and I might have approached the steps a little bit that way from the beginning. But I also, you know, I worked the tools. I made a lot of phone calls, um, more than I do now. Um, I went to three meetings a week, um, sometimes more, but usually just three, um, which I know in L.A. is, you guys go to way more meetings here, <laughs> which is awesome because there are so many. Um, and I and I and I did service. I took service positions, you know, on a regular rotation uh, at different meetings, different service positions. Um, I'm a really bad speaker bookie. I really hope to never have to have that um, again. It's a great exercise in powerlessness and in humility because there were many times when you know the speaker couldn't come or I failed to get one for that week. And um, but you know we're human. We're not supposed to be perfect. So. Um, that was actually a good exercise for me in being visible in my imperfection. So there, I shared that. Um, I would say if, you know, if somebody was going to say, I want what you have, okay, that's how I got it. I worked it really hard. Um, and um, I worked through the 12 steps. It took me, um, I think, over a year to get through it the first time, and when I got to the end, I started again. Um, and... <clears throat> I'm grateful for the order of the steps. Um, for me, it worked to work them in order, and I felt ready for each one as they came. I would not have felt ready for them too soon, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of magic happened. You know, step nine, people showed up out of the blue that I hadn't seen in years that I needed to make amends to. Um, I have had a lot of sponsors in this program, and I... Um, I think that's important to share because some people think like, oh, God, you know, it didn't work out with my first sponsor. That must mean I'm not doing it right or I'm a bad person. I've had lots of sponsors and lots of sponsees. And um, there's a – I don't know where this quote comes from, um, but it says, I am all that I have met. And um, I am not like one person's sponsorship or one person's, you know, like I am – my recovery is is this beautiful collage of zillions of conversations and meetings um, and passages from the the books and um, pieces of advice that I've gotten. Um, and when I have sponsees and I get the sense that I'm the only person they're calling, I always say, this is making me uncomfortable. I need you to be talking to other people because one person can't help another person recover. Um, the magic of this program is that somehow a bunch of addicts <laughs> create this collective power that is able to help us all recover. Um, okay, I'm going to open it up to questions soon, but I do want to say what I'm like now. Um, I'm more comfortable with being imperfect um, I experience less anxiety 
um, prior to coming into this program, I, I struggled with profound anxiety, and I think the food addiction was about medicating that. Um, and the biggest shift for me in the first couple of years of this program was just calming down. <laughs> um, I've had... Um, romantic partners and friends say to me after I come home from a meeting, you always look so relaxed when you come home from a, from a meeting. Um, so that's been a big piece. Um, the willingness to be imperfect and be real in my relationships has had a profound effect on those relationships. Um, one very close friendship that I'd had for years but had never really felt authentic um, or close and I always blamed it on him. Um, and then one day we went for a long walk and I told him about my story. I told him about having an eating disorder and how sick I was in high school. And he was like, God, I always thought you were perfect and you had it all together. And it made it really hard to relate to you. And I always felt less than. Um, and since then, our relationship has been way more real. Um, and actually really loving. And I feel like I got a, one of my best friends out of the deal. Um, oh yeah, I don't binge all the time. That's what I'm like now. <laughs> That's huge. I was at a I was at a party a year ago, and I was talking to somebody who, um, kind of like in his tipsiness, explained that he had just lost a bunch of weight, and you know he's really struggling, and um, and I was like, yeah, sh- I told, and I I just kind of connected with him for a while, or, you know, I said, yeah, and you know when you do this and you do that, yeah, 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 totally, and you feel so horrible, and I said, yeah, I haven't done that in five years, and he just looked stunned. He was like, uh, what? <laughs> and I forget what a miracle that is. I forget that every day I have three meals a day and one snack and that they're healthy meals and that I'm wearing the same size clothes that I've been wearing for all these years. Um, I abstain from trigger foods um, and people say to me, God, you have the most self-control of anybody I know, and I'm like, oh, God, you have no idea. Um, yeah, it's, you know, um, the grace of God. It's not me. Um, and I think the other big difference is that I have a fellowship um, that that is family far away from home, um, and that I feel I belong to. Um, my mom has a joke. Um, she says, you and your dad, you always feel like you were never invited to the party. I always feel like I am invi- yeah, I am the party. And, like, my mom is that way. I don't know how she got that way. Um, but my dad, who's also an addict, incidentally, um, and I, yeah, I, I grew up, I just always, you know, I, I have thoughts, like, I've lived in mostly group co-op houses after college, and, and I'll be on my way home and thinking, God, when I get home, everyone's going to go, oh, Chloe's home. Shit. Yeah, shoot. Um, you know, what a drag. And I have to catch myself and go, really? Like, <laughs> where does that come from? So um, one of the very healing things about is, about OA is that I absolutely feel like I belong here. It's probably one of the only places. But, but what happens in OA then starts to radiate out into the other parts of our lives. Um, and um, I feel less fear about 
trying new things and traveling and um, sort of stepping out into the world because I have this home that is very secure um, in OA um, and in my higher power. Um, I have a very rich relationship with a higher power that is constantly changing. Um, it, it takes many forms. As of late, it's this little council of elders um, that laughs a lot at me and with me. Um, and um, it's the, the council is like the, the wiser parts of all of us. Um, so there's like a wiser Chloe who's part of the council, and I talk to her a lot. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, and I have the steps provide a framework for pretty much anything that I could come across in a way. Uh, I mean, in life, um, you know, I can come back to the principles and the traditions and my sponsor I'm doing a bunch of group work at school which is really challenging and really cool um, and she suggested I read through the traditions um, to try to bring some of that to my group work um, and that's been really helpful um, and I'm available to loving relationships today um, I'm going to stop there and open it up for questions um, yeah, thank you for letting me share. Yes. Thank you so much for your share. Um, would you talk a little bit about your daily prayer meditation practice? That's an awesome question. Well, today it just changed um, because I was at a meeting this morning um, and somebody shared that they read a particular prayer three times over. Um, and that's something I've encountered recently in LA, people repeating prayers. I've never tried that before. I was at a meeting where they said the serenity prayer multiple times, um, and there's something very soothing about that. Um, so my newest practice is <laughs> um, saying this particular par- prayer three times, um, and it's very centering and helpful. Um, I get on my knees first thing before I do anything else, and that has been consistent since six-plus years ago um, when I tried it for the first time. Um, with very few exceptions. I don't know why. So much else about my program has shifted and morphed over time, but that one is, is the constant. Um, and sometimes when I'm in a situation where I feel like I need to make that ground contact, I've been in meetings where I'll, like, drop my pen and pretend to go down and get it, but, like, put one knee on the ground um, or two knees on the ground. Um, or uh, when I started spending the night at my ex's house, I would, like, pretend I was stretching, but I'd obviously be, I was actually praying. He didn't know. Um, so so that, getting on my knees, um, and then um, imperfectly, you know, there have been times where there's meditation and times where there isn't, times when it's a short meditation, times when it's a long meditation. Always when I meditate in the morning, it's a better day than if I didn't. Um, and, uh Yeah. Spiritually, specifically, or all around? That's good. Okay, cool. There you go. Yes. Thank you so much for your share. That was awesome. You're I love welcome. it when people share the core details. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, if your abstinence changed over the years and your abstinence and your food plans? How you change those? Yep. Yeah. So um, I forgot to share this. Um, the first food plan I took on was my first sponsor's food plan. Um, and she... Um, I was, let's see, 19, very physically active. I'm 5'7". She was 5 feet tall, over 60, 
and not as physically active as I was. So in terms of the calories she needed and the calories I needed, they didn't match. Um, but I didn't know any better, and I just took her food plan, and it was very restrictive and sort of like low-fat everything. And um, I lost a lot of weight really fast. I went to a nutritionist and got a plan that worked for me that was very um, cut and dry. Um, I weighed and measured everything um, and abstained from, like, all my trigger foods. That's not true. I chewed gum at the time, which turned into <laughs> a very expensive habit very quickly. Um, and so I had to give that up. Um, and I pretty much weighed and measured almost everything except for restaurants for a long time. Now it's like vegetables. I kind of eyeball it. Um you know, some proteins I eyeball. I usually weigh and measure my breakfast because that's like a good starting place for me to have. And it's also a meal that was notoriously a binge meal for me. So it, it depends on what type of food it is. You know, if it's a particular food that is quote unquote abstinent, but also in the quantities were a problem for me, um, I'll, I'll be more inclined to measure it. Um, the key, I guess, is just constant conversation with somebody else other than myself around it. Um, so when a food's getting loud, i got to talk about it with somebody. Um, or when something happens at a restaurant, at a friend's house, that feels like, oh, God, you know, it's taking up a lot of space in my head, I just need to make a phone call. Um, my first year anniversary, um, I was camping, um, and I was at, and I ended up making a really really, like, outside-the-bounds decision around food. Um, and I called my sponsor the next day crying. You know, I, you know, on my year anniversary, I go at blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, did you binge afterwards? And no. Did you binge this morning? No. What did you have? My abstinent breakfast. Okay. How about this? Why don't you do some writing? In a couple days, we'll talk about it. But for now, focus on your next abstinent meal. And I stayed abstinent. And so... <sighs> Over time, through a lot of conversations, I think my abstinence has gotten roomier, but I can't ever go back to having it all be in my own head. Um, and there are some things that are totally non-negotiable still, the, the sort of serious, serious trigger foods. I, wanna, I guess I want to tell, like, specific stories. I, I used to take a lot of my roommate's food, um, and I, I, you know college roommates, like, we both did things that were annoying. You know, she got drunk a lot. <laughs> um, and, and you know, I, like, forgot to put the note on the door when I had a man over. Like, you know, we just, we were 18 and silly. And um, and so I had this, like, more, you know, I felt so ashamed. And I, I like, bought her her favorite candy in a box. And I, like, took her out to lunch. And I gave it to her. And I said, this is, like, for all the times I ate all of this stuff that, you know, you would get on special occasions. I'm really sorry. And she was like, oh, honey, like, I did this. And, you know, and I love you. And we both cried. And um, it was just funny to think, like, how horrible I thought I was for taking her food. But it was still really important that I apologize um, and come clean. Um, I've written checks to place. I worked at a, <laughs> I worked at a bakery. That was smart. Um, I ate a lot of dough. <laughs> In the back room, so I wrote a check to them for all the dough I'd eaten, for all the cookies that they could never make, um, on beha because of me. Um, and I never heard back from them. Like, I wrote them a check and a letter and signed it, and I've since been back through, and nobody's ever mentioned it. And I don't know. 
um, it was really scary because I still knew people who worked there. Um, you know what's weird, though, is that there's things that I've done that now I look back and I was like, how was I willing to do that? And if I had looked ahead, I'd say, I'm never going to be willing to do that. But somehow, in that moment, I was willing to do it. Um, like, I weighed and measured in my college cafeteria. Like, I would, I would back up the line, you know, and people would be like, what are you doing? I, wouldn't, I don't think I could do that today, you know, if I were 18 again or 19 again. And I, I, I mean, I, I heard from other friends people say, oh, yeah, they call you the girl with the scale. <laughs> oh, my God. But for whatever reason, at the time, I was given the grace to, like, be okay with that. So I think the same thing is true for amends. They're terrifying ahead of time, and then in the moment, this, like, grace opens up, and it just happens. Um, one other key amends was there was this woman I didn't really ever want to be friends with, and I kind of broke up with her. Um, and I and I was, was so concerned that my amends to her was to like be friends with her again. And I finally realized, no, the living amends is to not lead people on. Um, and that was something that again, like, only came in the moment that it was time to make the amends. And I and it was just like, oh, you know, the the grace idea kind of came into my head. And I talked it over with my sponsor. Um, the biggest example of that is with my mom and with my sister. You know, I think family ones just take forever because <laughs> they're still there. I mean, the people are still there. Um, and they keep doing what they always do. Um, and I'm still me, and I keep doing what I always do. So um, one resentment is of my sister for being, you know, cooler than I am um, and more beautiful and more accomplished and blah de blah de blah And there are times when I get all this grace around that, and I feel really recovered, and I've done all this work, and, and, I, just, and I feel like just pure love. And there are other times where it, like, kicks back up again. Um, and I have one sponsor who um, would say, you know, you acknowledge it, you're like, hey, jealousy, you're like, hey, resentment, why don't you sit over there, and I'm going to just keep doing my life, um, and you can leave when you're ready. <laughs> um, and it sounds really weird and, like, psychobabbly, but um, that helps me sometimes separate myself from it rather than getting into, like, I thought you left, you know? Why are you, what are you doing back in my house? Jealousy or resentment. Um, you know, and continually turning it over to God. And, you know, I think it's like... It's the same, it's like food comes up sometimes again. You know, it's progress, not perfection. And, and um, yeah, uh, so it's like the same thing. You retake step three, you redo the kind of a brief inventory. But then at a certain point, you're like, okay, you sit in the chair while I'm going to go do my life and try to just move forward, I guess. Yeah. Thanks. Okay. Okay. <laughs>